Hello, and welcome to Wicked Wednesdays, your weekly podcast on sex and sexuality, with an emphasis on BDSM kink and poly relationships. I'm your host, Wicked Fellow, and this week I am joined by the lovely lady Katja. Hello. And we're doing kind of a special Valentine's edition, because last week I spoke about qualities that I believe make a good dom. And as I was recording that podcast, it occurred to me that I wanted to have conscious input on this because, of course, she's coming at it from a different perspective and a different experience than I have. And I think it would be a good counterpoint to what I put forward last week. Before we get started this week, I want to send a special thank you to our new Patreon followers. This week, it's Vivianne, and I'm very glad to have you on board. For the rest of my patrons, I know that I've been slow on correspondence, and that should change soon. I'm still doing a lot of unpacking and setting up the shop and studio, so my time has not been my own. However, shortly, I do hope to get my life back on track and get back onto correspondence and putting out Patreon content. Thank you so much for your support. If you would like to become a Patreon subscriber, head over to www.wickedfellow.com You can find all of our show links there, the podcast is hosted there, our Patreon, of course, and also contact information if you would like to reach out to me there. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter, and that's about it, Instagram and Twitter. Social media is difficult, especially when I'm trying to keep up with my personal accounts as well as run a host of business accounts as well. So, getting into this week's topic, Katja, what do you think makes a good dumb? So um, last week when you were filming, you actually sent me an email or a text and asked me what qualities I thought made a good dom. And um, I think you had mostly created your own list at that point. And so I, I, I liked seeing how close our lists were, but there were at least a couple differences. Some of them were just practically the same quality, but some of them were different. So. One thing that you didn't list was intelligence. (laughs) And we had a conversation about that later, and you felt that that was something that was particular to my needs and was maybe not a a general quality that's needed in a dom. Yeah, so on my list, you know, for you, you have certain things that you really want in a dom for them to be your ideal dom. Right. But that doesn't necessarily make them a universally good dom or are prerequisites for being a good dom. So, sure, intelligence can certainly be an asset. You know, as I've said, you don't have to be seven feet tall to play basketball, but it does not hurt. Right. So, being intelligent can be a huge asset for a dom. However, it's not a prerequisite to being a good dom. And I'm sure that there's a lot of great doms out there that may or may not be, you know, terribly intelligent. Um, yeah, no, I think for, for me, it's important because I'm somebody who has an, an academic bent. Mm-hmm. We've talked a lot about how in order to have a good DS dynamic, we have to connect on a lot of levels, even outside of our DS dynamic. And in order to really connect with anyone that I'm particularly close to, um, we have to be able to kind of match up and and spar on various <laughs> on various levels. Um, and so that that is something that's important to me. And it's also something it's really important to me because I feel like I just I have to feel understood. Fundamentally as a sub, something that's extremely important to me is feeling understood. And I don't think that someone who can't like 
match me in intelligence could possibly understand me well enough to dominate me. So is it more their ability to communicate with you or do you actually need them to be smart? I think both of those things are true. I don't think those are different. <laughs> They're not identical, but I don't think that you can communicate terribly well with me if you aren't. Well, I know a lot of very communicative people sure. that aren't necessarily very intelligent. They're very good at communicating their thoughts and feelings and what they need and what they want. They're not necessarily very intelligent, however. So do you think that being able to communicate would be a prerequisite? I mean, it definitely is a prerequisite, but I, I don't know how to have this conversation without sounding like an asshole. You don't have to worry about sounding like an asshole. <laughs> I believe on my list of things, I could have included, you know, has the ability to communicate or is able to communicate their thoughts and feelings, not necessarily verbally. Their ability to get across to their sub what they need their sub to know, whether it's in writing, whether it's verbally, whether it's at the end of a crop. I had empathy, which is the ability to understand what's going on with your sub. Right. Much like intelligence, I think that someone could be a good dom and not necessarily be very communicative or not have a great facility with language and still be a good dom. Again, so separate out what you need as a sub and makes a good dom for you. And do try to think more broadly as in these are qualities in doms that I admire, that I like, that I think are necessary to be a good dom. Okay. I mean, I think I have to think of it not in terms of the list, you know, like the, the way last week's episode was structured. Obviously, for I think for every sub, what makes a good dom for them is going to be different. There are certain things that are that are very important to me. For me, I would say that the number one most important thing to me is feeling understood. And I mean deeply down to my core understood. And I, I think that because, so I have, as you mentioned, I, I have been in the scene a long time and I, I have had a lot of different experiences with different people. And I think before, sir, the way I thought of this, I thought of this as... Um, a male-female difference, the difference between male dobs and female doms. Um, but now with Sir, it's really blurred, so I don't really think of it that way anymore. But I've always been attracted to both male doms and female doms. With male doms, the attraction has been largely physical, right? So I like being physically smaller than my dom. I like being overpowered by my dom. And I'm sexually more attracted to men physically. But I've always felt a stronger emotional connection to women. And the thing that was very, very attractive to me about female doms is that I felt that they could understand me so deeply in a way that a male dom never could. And it, it, the key to that for me was feeling like I couldn't get away with things. Because I, my experiences with male doms early, at least, you know, in my late teens, early 20s, that kind of thing, was that, yeah, they're really easy to manipulate. It's really easy to manipulate a lot of male doms and not because you set out and decide consciously you're going to do it, but just because often their motivations can be rather simple. <laughs> and um, they just didn't really seem to kind of see through my actions enough to really have the kind of control over me that I wanted them to have. So there's a very strong parallel here with you, I believe. I've mentioned before on the podcast that for you to enjoy a scene, for you to really get into a subspace and feel submissive, you can't pretend. You can't pretend with a dom that was, say, much smaller and physically weaker than you 
that they can overpower you. Right. It has to be real. Right. Again, there's an element of fantasy in a lot of people's play. For you, it not only do you want to feel overpowered, you need to know that, oh, they can actually overpower me. I couldn't get away if I wanted to. Right. And it sounds very similar with the Dom sub thing. Even with the Dom that you felt you could manipulate, you could choose not to. You could pretend that you couldn't manipulate them. You could pretend that their authority is absolute. You mm -hmm. could pretend. I could or a I'm person saying could. one could. <laughs> okay. <laughs> one could. <laughs> okay. A person could pretend right. that, yes, I do feel like I can manipulate this person, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to choose to submit to them and not use my greater powers of manipulation against them. For you, you feel like you can't do that. If, if you feel like you could manipulate them, if you feel like you could overpower them, it breaks the scene for you. Yeah. I do feel like that's very kind of you-centric, however. Mm -hmm. I think in a lot of dom-sub relationships, there is an element of choice as much as, you know, obviously you're choosing to submit, but it's choosing that, yeah, if I really fought back, I could probably overpower this person and get away. However, I'm not going to. I'm choosing to let them overpower me. I'm choosing to let them tie me up. I'm choosing to submit to them. And I'm fine with that choice. Even if I know in the back of my mind, I could get away if I wanted to. Just like with you and I, while you may not be able to physically overpower me, you know that you can ask to stop and everything will stop. So that is always there in the back of your mind. It may not be an actual physical escape, but if you use your safe word, everything's going to stop. So there's always that backstopping there. So, okay, I have two completely separate trains of thought on that. Um, the more immediate one is, but <laughs> I, one thing that I like very much about the way that you and I use safe words is that my safe word isn't necessarily a way to end a scene. Like the, the thing that makes me feel comfortable using a safe word is that I know that using my safe word you stop and you evaluate, but you still make the ultimate choice whether the scene is going to continue. Yes and no on that. This is something that we clearly have never gotten to that point. The only time I've ever had Katja use her safe word was when I was instructing her to use her safe word. I put her in a position where I made her use her safe word because I wanted to show her that using her safe word was a safe thing to do. It wasn't going to make me angry with her. It wasn't going to ruin the scene. It wasn't going to become a, a thing between us. I wanted to see from her that she would use it if pressed. And I wanted her to feel safe using it if pressed. Now, in Koch and my sub-dom dynamic, we don't necessarily go for really extreme play to the point where I'm pushing her physical limits right to the edge a lot. If anything... It's usually more emotional where you would get to your breaking point. Mm -hmm. That's just our play. But it's still necessary for me as your dom to feel comfortable knowing that, yeah, if you felt like you couldn't do anymore, you would let me know. So while it's true that in our dynamic, because we do have a very kind of extreme form of master-owner sub-relationship where you've given 100%, 24-7... That's that's varsity level DS. You know, not everybody is in that kind of relationship. Not everybody is living 24-7 and is together 24-7. And unbeknownst to you, <laughs> yes, you can stop a scene. 
I don't think you've ever been in a position where you wanted to, where you wanted the scene to end. Well, because I very, very much do not want to have the power to end a scene. So this does, again, so this falls back on what I was saying earlier is that you don't want to pretend you can't overpower your dom. You don't want to be able to overpower your dom. Right. But So I think and this kind of ties back into my other train of thought, which is I've had different dynamics in different DS relationships. And this, again, goes back into the male-female dom. What I really am attracted to in female doms and what I'm attracted to in male doms is very different. And so I've had a long-term DS, very serious you know, owner-slave relationship with a female dom. Mm-hmm. And it, like, I could have overpowered her in two seconds. But that didn't hurt things for me in that relationship. Now, if I had, I could never have a male dom the size of the female dom I had. It would not work for me at all. Um, but with a female dom, I think there was something really interesting about that dynamic. We were, I mean, you and I are very much peers in terms of life experience, in terms of age. But with her, it was all that plus gender. And there was something that, that was really cool to me. So I think before her, you know, I had been in a marriage for a long time that wasn't DS. And so my DS relationships before her, there had been this huge age gap. And the age gap just necessarily, it has this like societally imposed power dynamic Mm -hmm. that's there coming from the outside. The thing that I found really, really cool with E, something that I think we both really enjoyed, was the fact that there was so much choice. There was absolutely nothing between us societally making her the dom and me the sub. Because with you, there's still gender, and we still have, we live in a patriarchal society, there's still still some societal expectation that I suppose we're conforming to, right? But with her, no, there was absolutely nothing outside of the two of us and how we were made, um, for lack of a better term, right? And so there was something really, really cool, and it gets to that idea that you were talking about, about choice, and how, for some people, you can choose to submit and that choice itself is very fulfilling and I've absolutely experienced that but I think for me that comes down to a difference between how I relate to female doms and male doms because with male doms I definitely need the physical aspect and like I said with you I mean I feel very fortunate because I feel like I I do have um a lot if if not all then the vast majority of what I get out of relationships with female doms because you are so emotionally intelligent and well you are you're <laughs> this whole series is not to be a hagiography of of my style okay but i do appreciate it. but i but yeah at, at any rate yeah now i don't know what to say <laughs> so i do have some follow-up questions for that one was our play does tend to be very physical and sometimes does involve wrestling and overpowering that kind of thing I'm going to imagine that your play did not involve a lot of physical stuff. It seemed more command and control than I'm going to hold you down. I would have broken her like a toothpick. No, really. (laughs) She may disagree, however. No, she wouldn't disagree. (laughs) Oh, excuse me. Yes, sorry. (laughs) It's clear that it was a different nature of that relationship. It It would be hard, I believe, for a sub if there was a physical thing going on, a wrestling match and some, you know, rough play to have to feel like, oh, I can't really push back because if I push back, I'm going to win. I believe that would be harder to submit to. Now, I'm sure that there are some dom-sub relationships where that is kind of a factor. If you have a more switchy relationship and sometimes you're the sub and sometimes you're the dom 
and there might be a little wrestling of control of that. I don't have a lot of that experience personally, but that might be part of the play. I was hoping for a more universal look at this. However, we take what we have. And this, <laughs> this conversation is interesting to me in that one of the things that we had talked about, you feel like there's a fundamental difference between a male dominant and a female dominant. And in fact, when I was talking to you about types of dominance, you know, a sadist or a rigor or a primal dom, you were like, oh, well, female dom. And I was like, no, you can be a female primal, sure. but you're not just a female dom. Right, right. As like, that's its own archetype. I agree. But you feel like there are fundamental differences um, in female doms and male doms. So I think that it's, I think there's two separate things. One is for me, yes, what I want and get out of that relationship is fundamentally different. But um, that's not really what I was referring to. I was referring to, when I refer to femdom, I agree. Just because you're female doesn't mean that you are in the particular archetype I was describing. But the particular archetype I was describing does exist. And it's a very large community. <laughs> so describe that archetype. Okay. My last serious DS relationship for Sir was with a female dom who's also a pro-dom. And she had a very large community of friends who were also pro-doms. And, you know, I think that when I had kind of described to you before, you know, th this archetype I was thinking of, you were like, oh, yeah, I've seen that on TV. Like, you thought it was just a fictional thing, right? Um, a stereotype. But it's yeah. it's not just a stereotype. I, that's the world that we socialized in. So a question would be, again, I do need to go back and have you give some characteristics of what you would sure. say is the stereotypical femdom. But... Do you believe that that stereotype stems from this is what a paying client wants to see in their dom? You know, when you go into a lawyer's office, you expect big bookcases full of law books. If they're not there, it doesn't feel right because that's what we're expected to see. Even if those bookcases have never been touched, yeah. they're just there for display. So I'm, I'm placing myself in the mind of someone that would go to a femdom. Sure. What kind of experience I would want from them would be largely influenced by what I've seen in movies, like the person dressed in all black leather, holding a crop and high boots, who immediately tells me to get down on the floor and eat out of a dog bowl. Like sure. there's a certain set of things I would expect having never been to one. Yeah. And I assume that that really was Hollywood. I assume that that was just how Hollywood and media portray a female dominant. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I don't know about origins, that very well could be the origin, but now I think it's it's cyclical, right? So, you know, I think because I was like the personal slave of someone who was a pro-dom and because I'm female and so I would go to a lot of these events where I was probably the only female sub, you know, and when the boys are away and it's just us girls, things don't change that much in terms of persona. Um, so I think like it very well could be that the, that, that is the, the origin of this kind of archetype, but it is also fully embraced within that community. And it's not like the the women who fit that archetype, that's the kind of persona they have. It's not like, I don't think that they feel that they are just acting for 
the men and, and as soon as the the men are away they're gonna drop it and, and act some other way like no it's it's fully embraced it's it's fun it's really really fun <laughs> so and again this is this is interesting because there is obviously some role play in bdsm you're uniquely situated to tell me since you knew this person kind of on and off stage mm-hmm. you you saw how they worked in a professional bdsm setting yeah. and you also knew them intimately at home relaxed watching tv how much of that was a persona and how much of that was just an extension or an enhancement an amplification of her natural personality well so i think that you know just like with anybody else i mean obviously when we're you know a lot of it is like you and me right which is the ds dynamic was always there so that the dom was never totally gone but Mm. at the same time there were you know we would go ski and hang out and talk and whatever, right? So we would, obviously not everything's high protocol all the time or anything like that. That's not what I'm trying to say, but I guess I'm trying to say in terms of private personal play versus professional play, there isn't really a, dico- a stylistic dichotomy there, right? With me, and I've often tried to describe this as the difference between my day-to-day persona and my persona as a dom in a serious scene is not an addition to my personality. It's not an amplification of my personality. It's a stripping away of my personality. A lot of the softer things, a lot of the humor, a lot of the gentler, softer aspects of my personality that I try to employ day to day and don't restrain day to day, I take off kind of like layers. And I kind of reduce that back to a much more calculating, cold, very serious dom. So in a way it is portraying a role, but it's not going up in my, the way I feel like I'm not amping things up. I'm, I'm pulling things back. Mm -hmm. I'm becoming more still. I'm becoming more quiet. And again, it would be very interesting to perhaps get some of these people on the show. Sure. If we could get some, some more outreach to the, the femdom community and female doms in general, I think I would love to have that input into this show, what your experiences are how you play your aspect, that would be a, a wonderful thing to have on the show. So if you're watching, send me a line. I'd be happy to talk to you. In the meantime, I will talk to you via proxy. <laughs> and so I think you answered my question, but I just wanted to clarify again. Yeah. I wasn't just talking about your private play and their public play, yeah. but just who they were. Did it feel like there was a big difference in the personality that they put on? Or was it just kind of a, a lateral shift into, well, now I'm being a dom? Yeah, I mean, no. No more than it, yeah, no more than it does with you. It didn't feel like a shift in personality. It, I mean, I always, I've never had the kind of conversation that, you know, you and I have had where you describe the stripping away. I've never had that specific conversation with anybody. But for me, it felt, with them, it felt more like amplification or at least, heightened protocol, right? And t- to me, that that was amping up. But I have no idea how they felt about it. And um, it, and no, I mean, the dominant personality was always there, just like the DS dynamic was always there. So this, and this is interesting because you really can look at this two different ways. Um, glass half full or glass half empty. Mm-hmm. I could say that I'm naturally very dominant, but when I get into a DS situation, I become very dominant, super dominant. Mm -hmm. I'm amplifying my dominance. However, I'm not. The difference is, is that day to day, I'm restraining my dominance. Sure. 
day to day, that's the softer aspect of it. Day to day, it's I know I should be polite and I know that I should not command and I know I, I have no right or reason to command the people around me day to day. So I soften that dominant aspect of myself that wants to tell people, do this, get out of the way, come over here, take care of this. <laughs> That's how I want to be, but I soften that. And I say, will you do this? Can you help me with this? Can that be moved? So when I say I, I'm stripping things away, I am, I'm reducing myself more to who I am as a person as, at my core. And now in this situation, I can say, do this thing, come here. So it would be interesting to see their perspective on that. And obviously this is going to change person to person. There's, I don't want to lump a whole category of people, especially by gender, and just say that female doms played this way and this is who they are. I would be interested in multiple perspectives. Um, I think what was interesting to me is you were saying that a lot of the femdoms that you knew, especially the pro-femdoms, certainly kind of fit into an archetype. Mm -hmm. Do you think you can describe that archetype? Um, so I would say high protocol is very, is very highly valued. Service is very highly valued. Sex is diminished in the sense that like, so because your typical pro-dom, especially ones who are kind of highly esteemed in that community, don't have sex with clients. I understand you. Right? I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. A lot of the times... The reason that I'll get stuck on a tangent or I'll get off in the weeds is I'll say something like, oh, they prefer high protocol situations. And then I'll think to myself, two thirds of my audience doesn't know what that means. And I'll have to take a parenthesis and say, high protocol means this, that instead of I'm going to grab your wrists and put them behind your back, I'm going to tell you, place your hands on the wall. These are the rules. You do not break these rules. I don't have to enforce these rules with my hands or my arms or a crop. I'm telling you to do this. I'm going to give you a fairly extensive rule set. You do not look me in the eye. You never answer anything but ma'am. You know, those rules and regulations, the military loves this. And possibly for the same reason, because ideally your officers in the military, your leaders in the military would be bigger and stronger and better than all of the troops below them. But in reality, they're usually not. So you can't rely on being able to beat somebody up in order to make them follow your orders. You have to rely on the protocol and the fact that the military is standing behind you that will enforce that protocol. So this officer may not be able to force me to salute him, but if I don't, he has the whole weight of the US military behind him that's going to make me salute or go to jail. Mm -hmm. And so there may be something similar here, whereas a, a pro femdom may be very high on protocol because they may not be able to force, you know, if I tell you to kneel, I can make you kneel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can force you to kneel. There's always that kind of background threat, whereas a femdom may not be able to force you to kneel and they would be relying on that command and control. I, you kneel because I said so. Right. We're not going to argue. I'm not going to try and force you. Kneel or get out. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that there will be some stereotypical differences between men and women. I don't have the experience in this scene. So I don't know. I couldn't even tell you what a, a female pro dom and their client's session would look like. Now, obviously, there's hundreds of different ways of playing, but I wouldn't even know what that looks like. That's just not my world. I mean, I would. I know. So That's done. why you're on the show. And I've also done before, like... I. So when you say that a lot of the femdoms you know and a lot of 
fem-pro-doms especially fit into an archetype. Mm -hmm. Give me some more idea about what that archetype is. Sure. So, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is there tends to be a lot of focus on service, and that's present pretty much all of the time, right? So we're not talking about it being tied to a scene. There's a fairly high expectation of submissives providing service to their dom. And that typically is completely non-sexual, right? So this is everything from carrying bags to organizing an event to just anything you can imagine. So a lot of um, especially very successful pro-doms have you know, what they'll they'll call it, you know, a stable, right? They have a quite a large stable of submissives. Um, and usually most of these are going to be clients, but they wouldn't really consider someone to, I think, be in their stable until it was someone who was, you know, established enough that there was this, you know, real ongoing DS dynamic with them. And also typically some, you know, what they would call personal slaves too. Different subs tend to have somewhat compartmentalized roles, Right. So somebody is, you know, a house slave and they're really in charge of a lot of housekeeping. Somebody else might be a bookkeeping slave. Right. So it just there tend to be a lot of very prescribed roles. Like I said, with a high emphasis on service, a high emphasis on say appearance. And I, I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean there tends to be a lot of thought and care put into dressing the part and and getting a lot of joy out of that, right? So I I don't mean appearance focused in a superficial way, but that's a really fun part of the play. And again, I believe that on the pro side and when you're working with someone in a professional manner, you tend to act and dress and behave in that professional manner. Right. If someone shows up and you're just in your bathrobe and you're sitting on the couch, that doesn't have the same... (laughs) you know, exciting effect that standing there in latex or leather with a crop and everything ready to go, just as if you walked into your doctor's office and he was just hanging out in sweatpants, you'd be kind of, what's going on? Are you on your day off or are you here to be a professional doctor? You did a good job of describing how they play, but it doesn't necessarily give me insight into their personality and aspect. I'm not a primal dom, Mm -hmm. right? I'm a gentleman dom. I, I play a certain way a bit more restrained, more refined, more cerebral. I tend to you know, make a list of rules and have these things done a certain way. It's just the way I play. It's not more wild and animalistic and in the moment and impulsive. Is there a way that you can convey the kind of type of dom this is? Or is it really, does it come down to a style of play? This is how the femdom scene works. This is how the pro-femdom especially scene works. This dom may be a little bit more spunky and bratty and fun and playful. And this dom may be very, very serious and by the book. But the way they play is the same. I mean, just I think obviously there are going to be tons of personal differences. I think, you know, if anything, I would say to go back to the different categories you used, you know, several episodes ago, I would say that the closest thing, and maybe this is a subtype of high protocol dom, but it's it's one with a, a very particular culture. You know, it is highly influenced by who the subs are, which are predominantly men, right? I think those two things are also kind of linked in the sense that there are the types of play that they do, whether it's, you know, financial domination or um, a lot of 
foot fetish and cross-dressing. Like, there are just things that are kind of bread and butter in that scene that are not at all common when we're talking about, you know, male doms and, and female subs. Um, and so that's just kind of part of that culture. I guess I didn't answer the personality part at all. I don't know. I don't know how. Because, I, I mean, no, I don't think there's any one personality, right? Like, they think there are a million different personalities. So I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing that thing you're not supposed to do, and which is ask a question you don't know the answer to. I, I don't know because I don't know that many female doms. In my experience, I've had subs that were also doms, so they had subs of their own. Mm-hmm. I knew that about them. Like it comes across to me in someone's personality, which is why at one point I told you that there's no such thing as a switch, all switches are subs. Well, yes, of course they are. By de- definition, all switches are subs, but all switches are also doms. Mm-hmm. They have to be. And the people that I've had as submissives that were also doms, that also dominated other people, definitely had a different personality than the subs I've worked with that were completely submissive. Right? There is a, there is a difference in personality there. And while they were very good subs and they enjoyed being submissive and we had a good submissive relationship... Seeing them work with their subs, it was clear that, oh, they also have a very strong dominant side and they're comfortable being dominant and they enjoy being dominant and they're good at being dominant. They did tend to fall into kind of a type. That nature would be a bit more analytical. They tended to think about their submission. They did tend to think about how they played a lot. It was important for them to discuss and talk about and think about their role as a submissive. It was natural to them, but it was also fascinating to them in a way that they wanted to talk about it. They wanted to say, you know, why do I have these feelings? What is it about being a submissive that I enjoy? Why does it give me senses of fulfillment to give myself to somebody else? They explored those questions. They did tend to be a bit more cerebral in their play. Other people I've played with, you know, people that were more naturally submissive that only did a submissive role, some people are like that. Others never thought about it, didn't care about it, didn't want to talk about it. They just enjoyed being submissive. They were comfortable in that. They knew that. That's how they were. It would seem to me, again, this is pure speculation, that the femdoms would fall more into that more analytical style of play. Well, I mean... But I can count the number of femdoms that I know on one hand. Right. So I, I do think that's true, although... I am afraid that that's just because that's what I really like, <laughs> that that's what I am seeing. The but, company you keep. Yeah, I think that might be the company I keep. Um, but because definitely I, d- I don't think that, you know, every femdom I know is incredibly analytical, but a lot of them really are. And like I said, at the same time, though, like that is exactly what attracts me to female doms is, yeah, that's exactly how I see female doms. I see them as like cool and calculating and yeah I think there's something about not being able to physically overpower your sub that causes you to have to think things through and not live in the moment quite as much if you're going to be successful at it anyway yeah I would love to talk to some people that this is their role this is what they do and this is how they play to get your direct perspective on it I'd also like to talk to some people that submit to femdoms both male and female to understand your perspective as well. He definitely has her experience. And it's almost like you play a completely different game 
when you're submitting to a woman as to a man. Yeah, right. It seems like your submission is different. Well, and that's I think that's why, so, you know, as Sir has mentioned, you know, more than mentioned, we're, we're poly, right? And um, so I'm free to date vanilla, but the, the problem is that I, I'm not interested in vanilla people. And so, and I'm just not very poly, right? And so I've tried dating vanilla, and it doesn't really work because I'm, I'm just not interested. The one thing I could see myself actually being excited about doing, having another poly partner would be, I would love to have a female dom because it is so different for me. So that's like, that is the one thing I can actually envision myself getting excited about because yeah, it, it is completely different. Just to clarify a little yeah. bit. <laughs> We're poly and you're free to date whoever you want in a vanilla sense. Right. You would be allowed to date a female dom. Yeah. It's a matter of, and really it, it doesn't even come down to allow. It has to come down to, could I work with them? Because the difficulty in a dom sub relationship when you are dedicated to one dominant is everybody plays different. Everybody has different rules. And you don't want to be in a position where you have to decide whose rule am I going to follow? Right. So if the doms are cooperating, if the doms have communication, if the doms have protocols and limits and understandings with each other as to it's fine for you to do this and play this way, but I would not appreciate it if you played this way or gave them rules that would then contradict my rules, that places the sub in a very difficult position. So it's not a matter of you know not wanting or allowing, it's I can see the thousands of different ways that could go horribly wrong. <laughs> and I don't want that for you. I don't want that for us. So yeah, it's a, it's a matter of, could you find somebody that you're attracted to, right. but that also is willing to work with your established rules right. to communicate with me and be like, you know, Hey, I would like to do this. Is that fine? Does not placing me in a position of power over them because I'm not interested in that. But, you know, for example, when I play with other Dom's submissives, which I do frequently, they will often come with a, a, a very extensive sheet. I can do these things, but I'm not allowed to do these things. You know, I can call you sir, but I'm not allowed to call you master, etc. Sometimes it's very specific. Sometimes it's very broad. You know, we can play, but there can't be any penetrative sex. You know, if that's the rule and everybody's comfortable with that, there's a lot of ways to play without that. And I had a very good relationship with a female sub that had a extensive rule set and that was one of them is that you know you guys can do almost anything but not penetrative sex fine and we had good play sessions that we both found fulfilling but it's important that i respect her dom's rules for her or his dom's rules for him whatever the gender that's not important so in that situation i'm fine with that that doesn't in any way i feel endanger our relationship as i've said in my poly podcasts you have to be ready to let the person go. Well, no, that's too scary. And that makes me not want to do it. I know that's very scary for you. <laughs> that's not a fear of mine. It really isn't. It's not a fear of, oh, if you go play with this other person, I'm going to lose you to them. Because if you go play with somebody else and that other person makes you want to leave, then that's what I want for Ugh, you. That's terrible. But it's what I want. Uh -uh. Because the alternative is me coercing you and manipulating you and guilting you into staying with me when you really want to be with this other person. And I don't want that. It's not that I'm looking forward to getting rid of you. It's that I'm not afraid of losing you. And those aren't the same thing. I can want to keep you, which I do, 
but I can also not be afraid of letting you go because I'm not. And I think okay, that's. I'm cry. still starting to have this I, conversation. I think that's right a. Now. I think that's a healthy thing. <laughs> So, as is not uncommon for us, we ended up going on a long tangent about things that weren't necessarily germane to this topic, <laughs> but were very interesting and stuff that I want to include in a further podcast. Next week, we're going to be back with a continuation of what makes a good dom and also start moving into what qualities make a good sub, as promised in the beginning. <laughs> but we're going to have to save that for another episode because I think this is already going to be long. As always, consent is king. Take very good care of each other. And, and we'll, we'll see, see you, you next week. week.